0: Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. I mean, they always have a big mouth. They always talk a lot. So (laughs) it happened before it's going to happen again.
1: This week's fan guest is a writer and lobbyist from Cherry Hill, New Jersey, a former ball boy at the Virginia Slims of Washington. Oh, I think I just revealed your age. I'm really sorry. He still proudly calls himself a WTA superfan to this day. And after catching my attention on Twitter earlier this year by describing his fandom for today's guest, I knew he was the epitome of what fantastic tennis is all about. So glad I can finally bring him face to face with his favorite player of the last 30 years. It's Jay Lasseter. Welcome, Jay.
0: Hey, John. Thanks a lot.
1: Oh, I'm so excited. Do you remember those people you ballboyed for back in Washington?
0: I, I sure do. I remember the people and I remember the fashion. Give
1: me two names
0: Martina and Zena.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, those are good ones. I know, oh, man. This Not is... to
0: name drop right off the bat. I
1: mean, those are, th- we're going to talk about those names a lot today. So let's get into it. Let's bring your favorite out. Our player guest today is an absolute legend of the sport. Growing up in Houston, Texas, she would become the number one junior in the world and win both the junior Wimbledon and US Open titles before turning pro in 1982. That same year, the WTA would award her with Newcomer of the Year, and she'd become a fixture in the world's tennis elite for the next 15 years on tour until her retirement in 1996. Her 14 career singles titles, 20 career doubles titles, including three Grand Slam mix titles, and both a gold medal and bronze medal at the 1988 Seoul Olympics would be a few of the trophies you'd see on her heavy mantle but it would be her historic 1990 Wimbledon final where she would defeat both Steffi Graf and Monica Sellis in back-to-back matches that truly made her an unforgettable fan favorite around the world. After hanging up her racket, she continues to this day to be involved in the sport by commentating, coaching, and she was the 2008 Olympic women's team captain, as well as Fed cup captain. She also co-hosts one of my favorite tennis interview shows on YouTube with another legend, Chanda Rubin, in which she's had guests such as Lindsay Davenport, Martina Navratilova, Francis Tiafoe, and Serena Williams. Our guest today is Zena Garrison. Zena, welcome to the show.
2: Oh, thank you for having me. I mean, this is uh, amazing. And uh, as I said before we got on, you wouldn't have never gotten this without Jay.
1: <laughs> I mean, Jay's a big fan and that's what we're all about. This is very cool. I mean, this is cool for both of us. I'm very grateful. How's Houston, Zena?
2: Houston is doing well. We're actually probably in the next hour and a half getting ready to have a major thunderstorm. We haven't had a, a major one in a while. So they're, they're projecting one today. But um, you know, unfortunately, our numbers of COVID are still rising. And so we're on a seven day retreat. So restaurants have to go back down, bars are going to close and everything for seven days. So,
1: But your family's been okay? You've been okay during the COVID break?
2: Everybody's been good. We've been trying. Yeah, I've had uh, two nieces um, that had it, and okay. um, but luckily they're okay. And a nephew, they were okay. So lost some taste and had some aches and pains, but you know did what they were supposed to do, so.
1: (laughs) Yeah, just keep wearing those masks, right? Absolutely, we got to follow on your Instagram. You remind us all the time, I really love it. But more importantly, Sochi's okay as well? Sochi's fine, right?
2: Sochi is over here in her corner, doing what she does best, relax. Sochi has a birthday getting ready to come up and you definitely follow. I'm in the grocery store, sometimes people come up, they say, oh, how's Sochi? And I forget.
1: (laughs) Absolutely, no, Sochi's good. What kind of dog is she for those who don't
2: know? Sochi is a a poo. And um, so it's Pekingese and Poodle mix.
1: Okay, very strange. My dog growing up was a peek My mom's name is Tina. Oh. I also have an Aunt Gina and I have an Aunt Dina. I have no clue why my grandparents thought that would be funny because my poor grandfather cannot keep the three names straight. <laughs> it's really terrible for him. But you would have fit so well into my family, Zena. I would have loved an Aunt Zena. Oh my God, that's too cute. <laughs> all right, guys, before we get into all the fun today, I'd like to get to know our champion a little more. So I'd like to start the pod today with my favorite way to start any service game. And that's 15 Love. It's a super simple game. I'm going to throw 15 questions at you, Zena, and you just respond as quickly as you can with the first thing that pops into your head. Okay? Got it. We ready? Let's go. All right. Question one. Zena. name the first professional match you remember watching live or on television.
2: Roscoe Tanner. Wow. I don't know who he was playing, but Roscoe Tanner. Yeah.
1: Okay. If social media were around during your playing days, which player do you think would have gotten in the most trouble?
2: Uh, Martina Navratilova.
1: <laughs> she continues to be a pioneer today, though. I love following her on Twitter. In your opinion, which match would you say was the absolute best an opponent ever played against you?
2: Um... Martina and love again. Yeah. I lost to her 35 to one, Tom Biedner.
1: 33. Don't short yourself there. Uh, um, I'm including the exhibitions. <laughs> number four, first word that pops into your head when I say the name Venus Williams.
2: First thing that pops in, very gracious.
1: Oh, yeah. So many yeah. words for Venus. All right. Speaking of the tour, can you name a player from your playing days that kept you laughing the most?
2: Um, Renee Stubbs. All right. So funny.
1: Name a player that you wished you had played doubles or mixed with while you were on tour.
2: I play with everybody I play with. So I don't really have yeah. I played with Mary Joe Fernandez. We talked about boys most of the time on the court. It was fun. <laughs> um and I played with Katrina Adams. We always had a good time. Played with Pam Shriver. So you had the
1: best doubles partners. Yeah. You had some good ones. Yeah. All right. No regrets. I love it. Thinking back to your time as Fed Cup captain, name one player on your team that you felt worked the absolute hardest during training sessions.
2: Um I was actually assistant coach, and that would have been Monica Sellis. I mean, it was absolutely incredible. Monica's
1: a great yeah. one. Oh, I've heard so many great stories about her training sessions. Oh, workhorse. All right, number nine. Zena, we've heard you're an awesome chef in the kitchen. What is a signature Zena Garrison dish?
2: Probably my cheesy shrimp enchiladas.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, right. All right. Number ten, you get one loss from your singles career aside from that Wimbledon final to turn into a win instead. Which do you pick?
2: All of my losses. (laughs)
1: I love how greedy you are. Such a tennis player. I feel the same way. I'm like, I, you know, they're all the same. You lose, you lose, it's right? It's a
2: loss. A loss is a loss.
1: Did one sting the most? Is there one that comes to mind that you get to go back in time and maybe replay that final set or that last point?
2: Well, losing to Martina in the finals of Wimbledon. Yeah. I mean, that stung only because, you know, just so many things. And my life probably could have changed a lot differently if I wanted. So.
1: Well, you changed a lot of people's lives from getting to that final. So I can't wait to talk about it. Uh, number 11, you have a gold medal in doubles. Can you give us a small piece of doubles advice to all the listeners listening?
2: Um, pay attention to your partner in a crucial situation. Like Pam Schreiber and I were talking about this the other day. Like when I was serving for the match, I was so nervous and she was like, take your time, breathe, you know, so really pay attention when you're feeling that pressure.
1: Check in with your partner. That's right.
2: Check in with your partner. And
1: if you're playing with Renee Stubbs and you tell a joke and, you know, everything's <laughs> back to normal. I love it.
2: I don't think I could have played with Renee. She would have me laughing too much.
1: I love how competitive she was. She's a good mix of like competitive and also like jokes. She's like my optimal doubles partner, really. Number 12, in your opinion, the best player during your era without a singles grand slam?
2: Without a singles grand slam. Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, Besides you. I know. I It's funny because I'm I'm very humbled, but I would have probably have to think about myself. I was in the top 10 for so long. Hey. And, you know, that is a feat Absolutely, that is incredible within itself. So,
1: yeah, we'll give Pam Shriver, Mary Joe Fernandez some props too. right behind you. You know, absolutely. Number 13, describe yourself off court in just one word.
2: Um, Just one word off court. I'm really, I'm laid back. I'm very laid back.
1: Cool. <laughs> chill. Chill would be the word. It's, it's uh, Zena Chill. I love chill. By the way, your middle name, it's not Lena, is it? It's Lene. Oh, okay. Thank goodness. I was like, are you Zena? Lena? That would be just my favorite. <laughs> I read it and I was like, oh, I hope she, I hope it's Lena. Like it's Lene. All right. Perfect. Number 14, Zena. If Zena today could give Zena of 1982 some advice, what would you tell her?
2: Um, I would basically, I would be more financially, I would dig into my into my finances more because I, I have somewhat of a fear, but I think that's, I probably be, could have been more stable if I would have taken more control of it. Yeah. As an athlete.
1: Smart Zena. Absolutely. All right. And the last one, looking back on your career, Zena, what do you hope you'll be remembered for?
2: Community service. Oh, yeah.
1: yeah, absolutely. I can't wait to talk about that too. Awesome. Well done. It's kind of like tennis therapy, right? <laughs> tennis is therapy. What are you talking about? <laughs> absolutely. It's always fun to reminisce. It's what keeps us young for sure. So this is this is good for us today. I love it. I, this is a throwback episode, Jay. Isn't this fun? We're going to talk about all our favorites. I love it. Yep. Amen. All right. Zena. I know you still stay active in the tennis world as you host one of my favorite interview shows, Game Set Chat with co-host Chanda Rubin, available on YouTube. If you haven't seen it, make sure you all check it out. It is fantastic. You've had Lindsay, Pam, Martina, Mary Pierce, especially that recent Serena Williams episode too. So good. So good. Not sure if you know that, but there was a clip that went viral of that too. Did you? Do you know which clip I'm talking about? Oh, where she she gives that... That look when she talks about a certain retired player.
2: Oh, God. I know. Chanda and I were dying laughing because I was like, can you believe that we even got that out of her?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know. That went around. That made its rounds for sure. Oh, man. All right. Zena, your fans have been asking if you've been keeping up with tennis this year. So I thought we'd go through some recent headlines surrounding the sport in a quick game we'll call...
2: Does Zena Carson? Oh my God, that's too cute.
1: All right, Zena, I'm going to read some crazy tennis headlines from the past year. And you just tell me if you paid attention to the story or not. I know you're very busy. You may not have had all the time to karrison about some of these stories, but does Zena karrison? All right, I'll give you the headlines. Here we go. Uh, first one, Serena's husband, Alexis Ohanian, shades Ian Tiriac on Twitter for racist and sexist remarks. Was that a story that you karrisoned about?
2: Definitely. Yes,
1: that man needs to go away and we need to have another like 100 million Alexis Ohanians in the world, right? Uh, hello. <laughs> all right, Zena, we'll stick with Serena. Serena Williams and Victoria Azarenka square off in an epic Battle of the Moms U.S. Open semifinal. Was that a story that you care, about?
2: I called it at the U.S. Open. Yeah. Awesome. Was
1: Was that not a great match, right? That was so
2: good, yeah.
1: Great match. I love their rivalry through the years. Are we thinking Serena has a better shot in Australia or Wimbledon this coming year?
2: Um, She'll probably get mad at me, but I'm going to say Wimbledon. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I mean, we kind of, I would love for her to win.
2: Well, because, and the reason why I say that, I just really believe like shorter points and some of this stuff would die down. And she'll be able to have a couple of more matches and everything, but she'll have shorter points.
1: She yeah. plays so well in Melbourne too. I'll take either one of them. I know, I know, all her fans around the world will take either one.
2: And if she gets her butt to the net a little bit more, when she gets she Zena, I like, I'm like, I don't care. Play, just come a little bit more, okay? That's all I'm asking. <laughs> Coming from
1: the the net rushing queen of the '90s, yes, absolutely. <laughs> all right, uh, next headline: American tennis player Sam Query explains why he fled Russia in a private jet in. Kobe. COVID scandal. Did you care about that story?
2: I was also on that story because I couldn't figure out, first of all, like, okay, was the plane ready for you? How did you get out? Who helped you? So, yeah, I definitely was in that story. (laughs) But I understood why he would do that. But I was still trying to figure out why it would take a young baby over there anyway. I mean, so. after,
1: yeah, after hearing about it, it was John Wortham had a great interview with him. It, he kind of cleared up a little bit of, of the shenanigans. So I don't know. The PR for the ATP this year was not great. So I'm rooting for you, ATP, for sure. Speaking of Zena, top players Novak Djokovic and Grigor Dimitrov contract COVID-19 as the Adria Tour cancels its remaining tour stops. Did you follow that story this summer?
2: Yeah, I was aware of it and paid attention because we were kind of like in the middle of everything was going on. So it's like you were looking for anything sports, you know.
1: It started all the drama. Absolutely. Yeah. And last one, Naomi Osaka wins AP Female Athlete of the Year. Zena, did you care about that story?
2: Are you kidding? I feel like I'm a stalker. <laughs> Like, I just, I'm so proud of her from, I keep having this vision of watching her at Indian Wells where she couldn't hardly speak. She was so shy to now, you know, I have a, a 80, 84 year old person in my life who was crying watching her take leadership at the U.S. Open. So just that has been amazing. To me. I mean, uh,
1: the impact that Naomi Osaka had not only on tennis, but in the world this year was uh, beyond it was absolutely if we have a, a million alexis ohanians i hope we get two million naomi osakas for sure we do think naomi is going to win more grand slams right absolutely it sounds like we're for sure team osaka all the way right
2: yeah i definitely i yeah i agree with you jay i definitely think she has a lot i love the fact that she's not just comfortable with where she is on the court right now she's consistently trying to improve and that's That's what I've learned about a true champion. They're always trying to improve every aspect of their life.
1: Amen. Awesome. Thanks for the headline, Zena. I love it. Real quick. I love your YouTube show with Chanda. You guys are so great together. How did that show come about? How did that start?
2: (laughs) I'm laughing because... You guys don't know me that well, but I am like Miss Idea Queen. I have an idea like every every other day, like whatever. So when in the midst of the pandemic, uh, we were two weeks in, literally the second week in, and I was I was a little bored and stuff, and I called Chanda and I was like, "Hey, why don't we like call some of our friends and you know video?" And Chanda was like, "What?" It's like, what are you talking about? And I also was looking at it from an aspect of trying to get donations for my foundation because I also was really feeling that the um, the low totem pole part pro, nobody was going to think about them losing their job. You know, some of them make their money just for gas money by giving a lesson that day. And so Chanda, you know, she's like the brainchild and the money child and everything. And we start putting it together. And then we call Billy and Billy loved the idea. And so she was our first person and everything.
1: Speaking of Billie Jean, honestly, my favorite show. I-, I loved all your shows. I've watched every one. I mean, I would watch. This is like my wheelhouse for sure. But uh, your Black Lives Matter show with my friend Elsie Granderson, who...
2: Oh, I love LZ. <laughs> LZ's a buddy
1: of mine. We've been friends for years, actually, for, I don't know, 10 years, LZ. Oh, man. I highly recommend that one. Everyone listening, definitely go back, YouTube that. But I mean, there's some great ones. Really, really great. Some great insight. I loved also hearing about your Olympic medal with Pam Shriver on the show. Really, really great, too. So yeah. uh, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. All right, Jay. I can't wait to hear this. I'd love to know how you became such a big fan of Xena's. What was it about her that really resonated with you? I, uh, I
0: fell in love with tennis 84, 85. And everybody remembers that big French Open between Martina and Chrissy back in 85 when Chrissy kind of came back and won a Grand Slam after Martina had been so dominant. So that really got my attention, that match between those two. And the Wimbledon was a couple weeks away. And actually, Zena made a run to the semis that year in 1985. And I remember the, the semifinal match. Anybody playing against Martina in 1985 is an underdog. So I'm with Zena. She's the underdog. And man, does she give a good show. I think the commentators were expecting it to be an easy match for, for Martina because of her prowess on grass. And Zena kept it really tight. I think it was like six four seven six. And uh, she demonstrated some footwork and some tenacity and athleticism, and I really related to it. I really, really enjoyed the underdog experience Zena gave me that day, so I was a fan for life.
1: Wow. Yeah. I always ask everyone on the show what their first matches that you that you remember of tennis or the first kind of memory that you have of tennis. My first memory, Zena, is really about you and Martina. I was a young kid. I remember setting my alarm for that 90 Wimbledon final. I woke up, I remember making toast, And sitting right in front of the television, I was watching, I was fixated, really, I was, there were two people on the screen that were very different, but still seemed very familiar to me. And I couldn't understand it at the time. And I only realized it later in life why that match was so impactful for me. But I'm proud to say that Garrison to Love at Wimbledon final was my very first tennis love. And I've had a long list of tennis loves after that, for sure. So I apologize for being a little tennis promiscuous, but no, for sure. Your name comes out of my mouth at least a couple of times a year. So really, really great. And that's the fun of this today because you get to see the impact that you really mm-hmm. had on people and it's really special and you're very special. So thank you for that. Jay, do you have a favorite match of Xena's maybe from the archives I
0: have I have several, but I'm gonna give you the favorite of all favorites, and that was the 90 quarterfinals where she beat Monica Seles after being down match point. And, and and COVID, for all the things that it snatched away from us, it gave Wivelden the opportunity to really feature that match. It was like the 30th anniversary, and it was like a whole new generation got to fall in love with Zina in that match again. You know, she went on to beat Steffi and and I remember she fell towards the end and, and she came back and she just basically won like 10 out of the last 11 points and just sealed the match. And, and there had been matches where Zena had had Zena, you remember once in a while you, you have was holding a match point so for you to turn the tables like that and be so tenacious is so mentally tough because people didn't give you enough credit for being mentally tough during your career and i really resented that i resented the the commentators not giving you the credit i thought you deserved but that doesn't take away from your greatness that you achieved in an era that was maybe the greatest era in women's tennis history
2: yeah yeah (laughs) And I, and it's so funny that you mentioned that particular match. I actually had a sports therapist in that match that was in the audience that I had been working with for months because that same forehand that sat in the middle of the court that you spoke of that I had some match points, I kept missing it. So when I slipped, and then that forehand came up, I was just like, "Not today." <laughs> and I literally just never looked back. So it was kind of weird. <laughs>
0: You know, I'm sorry that you lost to Martina in the final, but it's still a legendary run and your fans will never forget it.
2: Yeah,
1: it was. She never looked back. But you know what? We're going to look back right now because we have so much to talk about in Zena's career. So I'd love to play a game right now called I 40 Love You. It's going to be Jay versus Zena in a fan versus favorite tennis match trivia showdown all about Zena's career and life. Jay, I'm going to ask you two questions about Zena's career. And then, Zena, I'm going to ask you two questions that kind of test your memory about your life of Zena Garrison.
2: Well, my memory's horrible, but I'll try.
1: (laughs) (laughs) If we end up in a 2-2 tie, I'm going to give Jay the opportunity right now to be today's champ, but only if he can survive this first question. Otherwise, the tie break goes to Zena. All right. This game is called True or Fault. This is an early test of your fandom to Team Garrison, Jay. So good luck to you. Jay, I'm going to give you three statements about Zena. If the statement is true, you just say true. If the statement is not correct, please firmly say fault in your best Wimbledon Alliance person's voice. You need two out of three of these to win the tiebreak. Got it. All right. Question number one, true or fault. Zena ended the career of tennis legend Chris Everett in Everett's last official tour match. Is that true or fault? Fault. Okay
0: it's it's false
1: she played one other match in fed cup but it wasn't an official tour match so it's true it's okay but good job though but you know you know your stuff though uh,
2: okay well and i'm gonna take up for jay on that one the reason why we probably got that wrong is because chrissy never wanted to say that i ended the career of hers so oh yeah because she's always at fed cup but she's never played that was her actual last match
1: Well, the history books say it's her last official tour match. So, yeah, absolutely. There's no disputing that piece of tennis history. Yeah. (laughs) So, gone are the days actually now or when icons say goodbye because Steffi, Monica, Jennifer... They all just stopped playing. We didn't get to have any fanfare, but Chris Everett gave us like three years in advance that she was doing <laughs> this long tour and everyone got to go and watch her play. So I'm just going to say Serena, Venus, Roger, if you're listening right now, please tell me when you're retiring because we just all need to go line up. I do not want a surprise announcement at any time. Just please give us plenty of time so that we can all go and watch you, right? All right Good luck cool.
2: with that one. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, man. Zena, that match against Chris must have been nerve wracking, knowing it was Chris's last. She's an icon. What was that match like?
2: It was nerve wracking in respect that I had grown up, you know, watching Chrissy and knowing and play with the Chris Ever racket and everything. So I knew what she brought to the sport. So, for me, it was more so I still wanted to win, but I knew that it was a big impact on just the world of tennis. And so, and what a great person Chris was, and everything. And you're
1: thinking that during the match? Is that going through your head during the match?
2: Actually, I, I did think about it a couple of times. And, wow. But the other thing is so when you see us come together in that famous picture, you know, her hugging me and I'm the one crying, it's because I really understood what had just happened.
1: Yeah. For sure, I love an icon. Chris Everett is right up there. Uh, absolutely. Do you remember? Was the match rowdy for you? Do you remember? Uh, did that? Um,
2: it was. It was okay until I got into the media room and they started calling me a villain, and that was very upsetting to me.
1: Is is that how they painted it? Yeah. Because they were so upset because it was done. They wanted to see the run continue. How? Yeah. Yeah,
2: even in some of the papers it said Zena the villain, and I remember after the match saying to my coach like. You know, it doesn't matter what I do, whatever happened, people, it's like, I'm still going to be, I'm still looked at as a villain. And it was very hurtful for me. And, and I mean, wow. and, and to, and to be honest, I went probably a month playing uh, different tournaments and stuff and people would not clap for me. That's a true story. Wow. Yep.
0: John, I don't, I don't know if you heard the podcast that was done by the guys at the Body Serve. They're up in Canada. They're really, really fun. And they actually went into the archives and just found the portrayal of how Zeno was portrayed in the media. And they were like trying to make her out. This is an Olympic champion, a Wimbledon finalist. She's beat every number one player there was in multiple generations. And they're still treating her like some kind of a gate crasher. Now they do that to Venus and Serena still to this day. So it wasn't like it was unique for Zena, but like you and I were talking about this the other day. It's like, this is a we like to keep the show optimistic, but like as an 11, 12 year old boy, like watching how my fave got treated was a lesson to me. Yeah,
1: it, that's a great point, Jay. I love that piece on Xena by the Bodyserve podcast. And absolutely, history shows she wasn't treated fairly on many levels or equally. On many levels. It's a big reason why she has such a big fan base today.
0: When when you see your favorite being disrespected and treating unfairly, it hurts. And that was like the first time that like a white boy, you know, growing up on a military base was, I was forced to be empathetic. Like it was because she was my favorite and she wasn't getting the same kind of recognition that lesser players were getting. And and I sensed that injustice, you know? And I'm like, well, you know, yeah, I guess she's an underdog against Martina, but she's like a world-class athlete. She doesn't need to announce herself. You need to pay her to wear that outfit. And it just seemed like, and Martina was another one, but, but Martina and Zena, the two players who, whose athleticism and stories inspired me the most were treated by the sport that I loved in a manner that I found disrespectful. So this was how I learned early on that this is not an equal playing
1: field that we're playing on.
2: Wow, Jay, that's awesome. Just Wow.
1: As, as we talk about your career, I, uh, absolutely, when we discuss Wimbledon, hopefully we can dig a little bit deeper into those obstacles that you had to overcome. Yeah. Let's move on to question two. Uh, question two, Jay, here's your question. Zena's most successful tour event was on the grass at Birmingham, where she advanced to four total finals with two titles and never lost before the quarterfinals during her career. Is that true or fault? It's true. Zina, is that true or false? That's
2: very true.
1: It's actually very false, guys. Come on, yeah. you're short. You're short handing Zina again. She got to five finals, not four finals. I-
2: <laughs> oh well, I, I knew I got to a bunch of finals, and I also was going to say I lost so many times at the French Open. I was so excited to get to Birmingham on the grass. That's why I was there before everybody.
1: <laughs> That's so funny, Zina. Your stats in Birmingham were through the roof. Were so great. What was it about that event that really brought out the best tennis in you?
2: I just love the grass from the moment I was a junior, just getting on it and having, you know, the athleticism more so, but you have to be strategic also on the grass. And that's what I loved about it.
1: You played Laurie McNeil three years in a row. In a final there, there had to have been a running joke by the third year. You guys must have joked when you saw the draw for sure. You had to have looked at it and said, all right, I'll see you on Sunday.
2: (laughs) No, we all, it was always very tense because we knew if one of us, you know, gets through the other, you're going to win it.
1: (laughs) You had some crazy matches with Lori. You played her 12 times in your professional career. I do remember there was this one match in my, in my youth. It was a 92 Oklahoma city final. If you remember this one, You beat her 7-6 in the third, and it was like 12-10 in that final tiebreaker. Super dramatic. Do you remember that match at all?
2: I do not. I remember it being tight, but I didn't remember it being that tight.
1: Yeah. Obviously, I I know you were friends with her. I I don't know if you traveled with her on the tour, but when you looked at the draw, was that something that you you looked out for to see where she was in the draw? Because it's never fun playing your friends.
2: Um, no, I never really looked at the draw that much. And so it didn't even play, but you know, I knew more than anything, I knew Lori would be close. We could just kind of tell whether we were traveling together, if we weren't traveling together, cause Lori would look at the draw. And so you could kind of tell the way she would react to you a little bit, you know? but I always was just one of those, just play whoever I got to play. I got to play. So
1: good to know. No, the first time I played my, my best friend at a tournament, I was devastated. I cannot imagine what this Serena Venus matches are or the Plaskovas or the Malevas, even growing up. I mean, I completely crazy to me. It's a, another level, so uh, really cool. All right, question three. Jay, you still can have some redemption here. <laughs> Last question. In 2000, Zena wrote an autobiography of her life called My Life in Women's Tennis. Is that true or false? False. <laughs> Zena, is that true or not? <laughs> That's
2: true
0: i failed
1: uh, out, all three.
2: You know- <laughs> Yeah, I was sitting there trying to help you <laughs> out. Oh
1: <laughs> Zena, not that you can see this, but Zena made a face when I read that question and I was like, oh, it's, it's, maybe this is like uh, a sore spot for her, but we'll talk about it. But honestly, you know you're great if you have your own autobiography, right? Come on, oh my
2: God, that just had someone you know had um someone um Doug that wrote it from the USA Today at the time. I just think I, I still think it was written too soon, you know, it's like' it was kind of the stuff that I was going through, and you know marriage, and then it's like you know divorce and eating disorder and all that, but you know, it's like as you get older, it's like I understand a lot more, like probably should have done, been done a little bit later.
1: No, it's interesting you say that. But I I will say, I bet having your own autobiography when you're dating is like really cool. Because if you're ever at a moment and they're like, hey, tell me about yourself. And you're like, oh, you did not read my autobiography, did you? (laughs) Well, like that. I mean, I do highly recommend the book. It's a great book for sure. It's on Amazon. Everyone, I highly recommend it. For a
2: dollar. You can get it for a dollar now.
1: (laughs) Hey, hey, we need to have a, you know, My Life Now by Zena Garrison. I'm I'm up for that. Well, well done. Jay, you didn't win the tiebreak. Zena, you win the tiebreak. So this is going to come into play when we play our game. So we're about to jump into question number one and it's for you, Zena. So the pressure's on you now. Zena, you founded the Zena Garrison Academy in 1992, and it's still an important fixture in the Houston tennis scene today. So your first question comes straight from ZenaGarrison.org, and it's going to test your memory. Okay. John Wilkerson, with whom you started playing tennis with as a kid, had a few notorious on-court rules during his program. Seven, in fact, are listed in the Academy history section. They include no arguing, no sulking, No talking on the court or temper tantrums on the court. But can you remember and name at least one of the other three important rules?
2: He's always being respectful.
1: For sure. Was there something, there was something on the court you couldn't have in your mouth. Do you remember that?
2: Oh, I couldn't drink.
1: Yeah, no drink. Well, no liquor. I mean, you were a young girl too. I mean, that would probably, that was probably a rule. (laughs)
2: people don't even believe that this actually in Houston, Texas, but my, the beginning of my junior days, I literally would just change sides. I wouldn't drink water.
1: Oh, wow. It also, the rules were no gum chewing, no soda pop, and you must wear a hat. I thought that was an interesting rule.
2: Yeah. Because of the Houston weather.
1: I don't play tennis without a hat, even indoors for sure. Zena, the Xena Garrison Academy is such an amazing organization. Can you explain a little bit to those that don't know much about it and what it does?
2: John Wilkerson was actually the the founder and the starter with me. And we used to call it the All Court Tennis Academy for all different courts. Uh, I mean, All Court Tennis Foundation. And so it's basically an inner city junior tennis program and after school program as well year round and just being able to help kids understand that through tennis that you're able to be whoever you want to be and you're able to dream and tennis has all the values from just something as simple as calling the lines not cheating you know being honest and um, setting goals and all that tennis gives you all that. I love it.
1: And if you'd like to donate, we're going to talk about the website at the end of the show, ZenaGarrison.org. Absolutely. It's a it's fantastic organization. Zena, a lot of your fans know how you started playing tennis, but a lot of people listening don't know your story and they love hearing it. Can you take us through your tennis journey?
2: Um, my brother actually uh, had a girlfriend that played tennis for Texas Southern University, and she also played in high school. And so John Wilkerson, the guy who taught me at McGregor Park, so my brother played baseball for Texas Southern University, and the courts are right behind each other. And so I was sitting on the court, and um, I was sitting on at the pro shop, and John Wilkerson was on the court, and he knew I was Rodney Garrison's little sister, which I still be called. He asked if I wanted to try to play. And I said, yeah, I'll try it because I played softball. So I tried to hit the first one over the fence. And I was like, yes. And he's like, no. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was like, no. He's like, you see these little white lines? He's like, you got to keep it in the white line. So I choked up on the racket, which I never was able to get rid of. And I just started keeping the ball over. And so he told me he had a program. You know, he was teaching kids and would I like to come back? So we went from a Thursday program, if I could make it. If I was good enough, I'd go from Thursdays to everyday program. And so uh, actually a guy by the name of Bill Cosby <laughs> actually came to Houston to give a tennis clinic. And out of 100 kids, Bill picked me to play with. And I've been playing ever since.
1: That's a great story. Uh, right away, though, I mean, uh, at 17, you become the number one junior in the world. At 14 years old, you had already won the national 18s. You were great right away. Uh, you win junior Wimbledon, you win the U S open title, inevitably you're going to end up being pro. What was the pressure like at that age? Obviously go into that next step. Did you feel a great pressure to become a great pro player?
2: You know, you hear me laughing because, you know, my mom was a black woman. You know, my dad had died by then. And so she was like, you going to college. And I'm like, I'm not going to college. I don't beat everybody in college, you know. So no, I want to go to the pros. And I remember Arthur Ash coming down and speaking to my mom and basically telling her, you know, she, look, she can make a career out of this. She's wow. beating everybody. You know, she's a top. Person, her next step would be to go to pros, and thanks to Arthur, uh, my mom agreed, and um, so I literally left my high school, I literally left the the prom, and took a couple finals, and the next day I was on the court at the French Open. Thank you, Arthur Ashe.
1: Wow, you made such an impact on the tour. Already by 1982, you were already named the WTA newcomer of the year, and you'd finish in the top 20. It was immediate for you. What do you consider your first big win on the tour?
2: Um, for me it's it's really funny because I, I the biggest one that I remember was Avon Gouligan at <laughs> Wombledon. And it's just because of what she meant to me. And it's like You know, everybody else, I was just like, oh, I was kind of like a cocky little kid. I was like, yeah, okay, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm supposed to win. I'm supposed to win some matches and whatever. But when I beat Yvonne at Wimbledon, I was just like, oh my God, like I just beat Yvonne Gulikon. So.
1: I love hearing that because absolutely, that's such a big win. You had started in 82, you beat Wendy Turnbull, who was already an Established Pro at that point in Hilton Head. That was a great tournament. And then a couple months later, just as you said, you leave your prom and you go make your first of 15 Grand Slam quarterfinals at the French Open. Wow. It was right away, which is ironic since that was the tournament that you said wasn't your favorite of all the Grand Slams.
2: Thank you for not saying I had all all those first round losses after that, but... The, the thing I remember about the French more than anything, it's so I did well right coming off of high school, and then I just kept going further down, down, down. But I remember this particular one, and I lost to Conchita Martinez, I think it was, because she was just starting to play, and and she was like the newcomer. And I remember seeing that gate, And the gate, I just went straight out the gate over into the park. I found out later, my coach and my husband, they were actually following me and stuff. And I remember being in the park and I remember this guy coming up and he's like, probably what I'm saying. He's like looking at me and all this. And then it hit me that prostitution is legal. And he was trying to, and I'm like, what the heck? (laughs) And I was like, I got so nervous. And I looked around and this this is, you know, I, I noticed them behind her. But yeah, so the guy was like asking me to go into the freaking woods. <laughs> All that anger I had of me, that guy didn't want to be nowhere close to me at that time.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. Zena, you finished your career with 14 singles titles. One of your biggest titles would come early in your career in 1985. Since we're speaking about the clay, it was at Amelia Island and you beat Chris Everett on clay, in straight sets, which was an unbelievable feat for anybody, much less somebody who preferred the faster surface, the carpet and the the indoor hard courts and the grass like you did. What was that moment like? Do you remember that? Was that the time where you could say, wow, I literally am here. I'm going to be, you know.
2: Well, you know, it's interesting about that. It's like my coaches all knew this. All the coaches, I didn't have many, but the ones I did, I absolutely have always had a love for Crystal. And so the minute I saw that crystal trophy that was given at a million Islands, I'm like, I have to have that piece of Baccarat. (laughs) And that was like my motivation. And that also that particular match with Chrissy, it's like twofold with me in that one, because, you know, I beat on Clay, but I literally was probably just starting to really become bulimic. And so I was in the midst of all of that. And I remember weird things. I remember this guy saying something about my skin and um, like I had blotches and that's one of the things that you can actually tell. Um, I found out later from a dentist that you can actually tell if a person is bulimic or not. So it's like I have weird things. And the other thing is I remember going to this hole in the wall after I won (laughs) and literally a hole in the wall and all of these like black people were coming up and we're dancing and whatever and they were like housekeepers and janitors or doing all this stuff at Amelia Island so that's how they got to see me play and I ended up in this so it was like really cool so it's like a, wow it's like one of those stories like I will never forget <laughs>
1: Wow. What a great, what a great, what a great memory. I love that. Can we talk about, you just mentioned the bulimia. Obviously you talk about it in your book and it's something that you were very vulnerable to talk about. We saw you chronicle early on your career. And then later on too, we saw you on The Biggest Loser, which, you know, everyone followed as well. That was a great, that was a great way to say, Hey, you know, I'm, I've had issues in my life and this is what I've dealt with, with food. And, and
2: that was the craziest thing I ever did in my life, but go ahead.
1: Well, I'd love to hear about it. But uh, obviously, when it started at that point, was it a struggle for you as a professional athlete to, to hide it or to? Well,
2: first of all, there were a lot more at that time in the, on the women's circuit that were believing. And um, I actually just picked it up from one of my cousins that lived in California, and she was, a, she was a model. And so that's kind of how I picked it up. But the interesting part is after I did a lot of therapy, it was really interesting finding out that it was more about me not being able to control my own life and feeling like everything around me was being controlled by other people more so than the eating. So that was just the one way I felt like I could control it, you know, and it's funny now, it's like people look at my weight and they just immediately feel like I have a problem, but I'm actually better mm-hmm. off than I was before. But I hadn't had a problem with it for years up until probably the fifth week into the pandemic and it hit me.
1: Well, it hit a lot of people. So, I mean, and hearing this story too is very encouraging for so many people. Hopefully we're okay now.
2: We're better. I like, I, you know, the good thing about doing so much therapy and being where I was and kept going through it. And and I, Pam Shriver and I were talking about this recently, the skills and the values that I learned from tennis has helped me survive. One of the very first things I did within that fifth week, when I started to feel my triggers going off, I put out on Facebook. Is anyone else having problems with triggers? And people start telling me their stories and help me understand that I wasn't by myself. And that helped me get through that period.
1: That's beautiful. And you're not alone. That's true. Obviously, I know you've dealt with this for many years, and I think therapy is the best medicine, especially we just said tennis is a great therapy for everybody. But I do think that when we look back on your career and we look at the things that you were able to overcome, I think it really is a testament to the strength that you have as somebody that really believes in themselves and that can overcome a lot of things. So I speak for all of us when I say how proud we are. We just mentioned 1985 was a really big year for you, Zina, but it would be 1988 that would prove to be the next milestone in your illustrious career. So let's jump ahead to question two. Jay, this is your first question about Xena. Let's talk about doubles. Xena won 20 career doubles titles and is one of the very few players in WTA history to achieve both a top five singles and doubles ranking. So here's your question. Xena would win her first career doubles title with this Grand Slam legend yeah. at the 1986 Canadian Open by defeating Pam Shriver and Helena Sukova in a three-set final. As singles opponents, they would meet 13 times with their last meeting being in Key Biscayne in 1994. Who was that doubles partner?
0: It's born on May 16th, Gabby Sabatini. We share a birthday.
1: You got it. You're on the board. (laughs) (laughs) Zena, Gabby Sabatini, you picked some great partners in your career. How did that partnership come about in 1986?
2: Well, it's interesting. All my partners that I've ever played with, I had to literally have a relationship with. I had to like them. I had to feel that they were passionate about helping others. I know I've always been like that. So Gabby and I just like, we hit it off. Like the minute we started, you know, being around each other and her family and everything just hit it off.
1: You had this, and I love that you said that because it makes complete sense. Now, when you look at the roster of players that you played with in your career, you had a rotation of, I would say five players that you really just kind of gravitated towards and would come back to at different parts of your career. We talked about Lori McNeil, Katrina Adams, you and Katrina killed it towards the the lighter part of your career. Mary Joe Fernandez. Pam Shriver, and Kathy Rinaldi. Those are really the five that you played with the most on tour. But you also played with, like we said, Sabatini. You played with Navratilova, Capriotti, Rosie Casals, Virginia Wade. You go from, you know, the (laughs) spectrum, you know, of of your career, which is very cool. With your game style, I'm sure there were a lot of people that wanted to play doubles with you,
2: though. Um, Right? Yeah, a lot of times back in the day, it really was, for me, like who I was comfortable with. And so I would get asked, and if I didn't feel comfortable with them, I would just say, No, it's fine. So, but I also was very loyal to the person that I said that I'm going to play with. I wasn't one of those players that they, you know, they get a better partner and they're off, you know, so I was very loyal all the time.
1: I love this Garrison Capriati collaboration. That must've been a fun team too. That's, you played a couple of turn with Jennifer Capriotti, who was really a good doubles player, but she didn't play much doubles.
2: Yeah. It's always funny when I think of Jennifer, because that was like my little sister Stefano, like immediately uh, gravitated to me. And um, I'll tell you a really quick story. We played Fed Cup in Atlanta and Jennifer, I think she just came out. She was like 14 or so and I never forget like I said oh you know after practice I'm like I'm going to the mall so Jennifer wanted to come with me and Stefano said Zita will you take her to the mall so he hands me her platinum card (laughs) and I'm thinking she's worth more than I and so we get to the mall she's asking me if she could buy jeans and I'm like girl you could buy the store if you wanted
1: to oh a couple jokes are running through my head right now but I'm a huge Jennifer Kepp variety fans. I'm not going to say those jokes. Were you in doubles? Were you the shot caller? Or are you more collaborative in in nature when it comes to doubles? Were you the one that kind of took the lead?
2: I was versatile, depending on what I needed to do. So, you know, with Katrina, Katrina's personality is more outgoing. She's more whatever. So if she called it, like I'd go with it, I would be laid back. But me with Mary Jo, I would be probably a little, I was a little bit more aggressive. So just depending what I need to do at what time.
1: Did you always play the ad side or the the do side?
2: Um, I actually, uh, love the deuce side more just because of my forehand cross court. Love that shot.
1: Yeah. You played mixed doubles pretty regularly. You have three mixed doubles, grand slam titles. Two of them was Sherwood Stewart, who would be your partner for many years, who would end up coaching you at a certain point. What great memories do you have from any of those mixed
2: finals? Sherwood. Oh my God. I'm about to start crying. Um, I just remember winning Wimbledon with Sherwood. And him crying and saying he was finally going to be on the board forever. Oh. <clears throat> and what really got me is that I remember he was like, this was one of his last shots. Yeah. And he just literally just, it was just so touching. And so every time I went back to <clears throat> Wimbledon after that, I would remember what Sherwood would say, You were always going to be on the board.
1: Oh, I mean, to have that today and to be that memory for him was so powerful and so beautiful. So God rest Sherwood Stewart.
2: He was so calm and he literally put out shots right when he needed them.
1: (laughs) That's a testament of a good doubles player right there. Speaking of doubles, let's talk about your biggest title, the 88 Olympics. You ended up playing with Pam Shriver. Did they go by rankings in 1988? How did that partnership come about?
2: Well, I just found out from a thing that we did. I guess Pam, they kind of asked her. And so, you know, Martina wasn't going to play. And so she thought I would be a good player, a good uh, partner.
1: Yeah, it worked out for you. That final against the Czech team was absolutely legendary. The nerves that you must have had, crazy uh, (laughs) serving out that match. It seemed like you had five or six match points, if I remember, if Jay remembers too. I think there were two double faults in that last game. You kept all your fans on the edge of their seat.
2: Probably your hands were shaking. What memories? Shaking. I was so nervous, and you know, I was telling Pam this recently. Like, why couldn't she be serving? But as I looked back at it, it was probably best because Pam was able to calm me down, and Pam could also control it from the net better. So mm-hmm. it worked out, you know. And and I remember just telling me, take a deep breath, take a deep breath, and you know, get it in. That's just get it in any kind of way. Just get it in.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Do, Do you think that was the most nervous you've ever been in a, in a match in your career?
2: Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
1: a lot was on the line.
2: Because I, I was just starting to remember, literally. I mean, I was just starting to understand just what was happening at the Olympics and that we were amongst so many great other athletes. But you know, tennis was just put back in there in 1988, and it just started to kind of click in what what was happening, that we would always be part of that gold.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And
2: Pam
0: and Zena beat Navatna and Sukova. I mean, these are two of the toughest, yeah. most legendary, consistent doubles champions in in women's tennis history. And, and, and honestly, I think we could put Pam and Zina's creds up next to anybody's, but they beat a really, really, really tough team at like 9-7 in the third. What was the third set again?
2: 9-7. I think it was 9-7. nevada was just like, oh my God, like you said, Nevada and Sokova together, but Navatna was fearless. Like, she would not give in. You you had to beat her, beat her.
1: <laughs> oh, love Yana Navatna, for sure. Zina, you went back to the Olympics in 2008 as the team captain. That must have been really special, that moment. Did you get to participate in those games at all?
2: Um, yeah, I actually... You know, all the Olympics that I ended up going, but I, I loved it. Just absolutely loved the Olympics. And some of my closest friends are still my friends now. And one of my best friends is Jackie Jonah Kersey.
1: Oh yes. Oh, a fly on the wall with a Zena Garrison and Jackie Jonah Kersey conversation. I love that one. That's a good there's a good podcast right there. Done. <laughs>
2: Let's get it going. Well, we need to use that one, but Jackie now always trying to save the world in some aspect. And then Carl Lewis is one of my very good friends. He lives here in Houston. Houston and, but I just love the whole Olympic scene from the minute I got there.
1: And Venus and Serena won the gold when you were captain as well. You were good luck. Yeah. <laughs> you were great luck.
2: That That's amazing. But just to see them and the, actually when I was the assistant captain and the 2000 when they won in Sydney was probably even more special for me because I remember saying to them, and I, I, I reminded Serena this actually last year, is I remember going downstairs and saying to them, whatever you do, you know, don't drop that flag, you know, drape it, hold it up high. I said, because, you know, Tiger might have, you know, $60 million right here, but this will give you an opportunity to have 30 million. And they laughed and laughed and laughed, but I knew what it meant. And I remember getting off the plane in LA and seeing in USA Today, them holding the flag and the flag was behind them and the smiles they had on their faces. I will never forget that.
1: Oh, I love that memory. What a great moment. I love it. Zena. just real quick, just to wrap up the Olympic chat, you were also the Fed Cup captain named in 2003. I wonder what type of nerves does a coach of the Fed Cup or the Olympic team have versus being a player on the court? Obviously, we talked about that memory of you shaking and and, and getting so nervous, but it's a different kind of nerves when you're watching someone and, and there's a title on the line and playing these big matches. Was that a different type of nerves for you?
2: Well, it's definitely two different types of nerds, because first of all, you absolutely have no control of what's going to happen other than getting them on the court. The other, there's still somebody high up that can take your job tomorrow. Um, so you're always, you know, in the back of your mind, you're worried about that. But then as the coach to the player, you want them to experience maybe a moment that you had or you remember. So all that stuff is going through. So it's, it's actually very nerve wracking. But then, you know, when they have that opportunity. Opportunity to hold up and get a medal and to hold their flag up for their country—it's like it's very rewarding.
1: Yeah, 100% agree. All right, well, we're moving on to question three, Jay. We're going to stick with you. Come on, Jay. This is going to be your last question, <laughs> so the pressure is on. Okay, Jay, you told me you were a ball boy at the 1990 Virginia Slims of Washington event where Zena would make the final and lose to Martina Navratilova. Well, that would be foreshadowing to what would happen later that year as Zena would make history by advancing to the 1990 Wimbledon singles final. She would have the tournament of her career and become the first black woman in 32 years to make the final at the most prestigious tournament in the world. As Zena's most successful Grand Slam, your question is Wimbledon themed. Zena defeated many players over the years at the only grass court Grand Slam. Your question is multiple choice. (laughs) Which of the following players did she not beat at Wimbledon, one of them she's already said, so we're giving you a. Li- she's helping you out a little bit. So is it A, Yvonne Gulagongkali? Yes. Don't pick that one. She already said that one. That was a good one. Was it B, Virginia Wade? Was it C, Gabriella Sabatini? Was it D, Mary Joe Fernandez, or was it E, Arancha Sanchez Vicario? Legends. Okay.
0: So I remember her beating Gabby once, six-two in the third. She beat Arancha one year.
1: So I'm going to say Virginia Wade. Zina, is he right? Yeah. See it, yeah. You're on the board. Good job, Jay.
2: Literally cried and cried. And that was my first like lesson of not crying on TV. <laughs>
1: Oh, did you cry on TV? Oh
2: my God. I was bawling all during the whole match. Like the end part of the match. I was so mad. I was losing to this older player. And how could you yeah. do this? And uh, it was killing me. I mean,
1: she has pedigree though. So at least, you know, at least it's oh, that, man. you know, that's good. All right, Zena, I know we've talked about this memory probably a hundred times in your career, but you have a whole new audience now of, of people that would love to hear about your 90 Wimbledon run. What was it about those two weeks that just clicked for you? It also was the scene of your third Grand Slam mix title, and you beat Graf and Celis. So that two weeks was really just a killer two weeks for you.
2: Yeah. Well, it's very interesting. First of all, I was extremely superstitious. And I remember telling Sherwood Stewart, you know, wherever we start parking, this is where we got to park. And so he's like, no, I don't believe in superstition. I get to the quarters and he's telling the guy that car needs to move because she needs to park right here. (laughs) So but you know what? The week leading up before then, I wanted to quit tennis. I literally was done. I Told my coach, I told you know my husband at the time. It's like I don't want to play anymore. Like I I couldn't feel the ball. I had no confidence. Nothing. Like literally, you had
1: lost love. Was it just at that point you weren't having the results that you
2: wanted? I was just frustrated. I was frustrated just with myself. I was frustrated with you know I was doing all this therapy, you know sports therapy at that particular time, and I was just done. Just like didn't want to play and. And I had never been in a situation before where the ball felt like a golf ball per se than like a regular tennis ball or something bigger. So I was not even feeling the ball.
1: Had you traveled with your sports therapist prior to that or was this a Wimbledon focus thing?
2: I was at that particularly for for the time from the French and whatever kind of was traveling with them. I had um, actually a full-time trainer. I had my husband, I had Sherwood and I had the therapist. So for me, that was just like, that's what, like I was the only woman that felt like out of control, you know, it was like, felt like they were ganging up more. It was just a lot going on.
1: What a huge entourage for 1992. That's when people didn't really have people that were with them. So that that's kind of interesting. Well, Zena, you taught me a huge life lesson as a young kid during that week at how prevalent racism was not only in the world, but also in the world of tennis it made the news that you had signed a clothing deal with Reebok the night before your Wimbledon final. And I remember thinking how unfair that was. I was probably nine years old or eight years old. I'd like to say it was shocking that a top 10 player for several years didn't have a major sponsorship deal, but actually it wasn't shocking at all for the times and for the sport at the time you had to deal with a lot of racism like that on tour your entire career. I'm really hoping that Reebok deal, paid off my friend because you deserved it also interesting enough both you and martina both are on record saying how difficult it was to get endorsement deals in your career um, for
2: different reasons how did well different reasons but if you look at it almost the same because yeah he was considered a rebellious i was considered black and you know it's just but not being the cookie cutter.
1: No, exactly correct. You didn't fit the mold of what, you know, what people had known at that point, you both changed, especially in that year, you were faced with, all right, this is the new era of tennis. I love it. How did your career change after that 90 final?
2: It changed a little bit, but not a lot. And actually, um, I was talking to to my agent, Phil De Picciano probably a couple of weeks ago, and he actually told me the story that I never knew, like how the Reebok deal came about. You know, that day before and how him and um, my other agent, Patrick McGee, and they were scuffling up until the middle of the, the night trying to, to get things going and everything. And it's like, I, I never knew that. All I remember is them coming to me and saying, here we have this deal. It's a nice deal. You can't wear a Martinez thing. Being me, I was like, what like but she's been so loyal to me and whatever <laughs> and so and it's like but you know everybody's like zina get a grip okay they want to pay you for wearing this or whatever so i remember you know getting a message to martina and said i'm really sorry and you know i'm not going to be able to wear your clothes in the final so
1: wow what a moment you know you're wearing something for six for six days and all of a sudden here goes you know here's another uh, a new little emblem that you're wearing it yeah. was it was interesting <laughs> Memories from that match or that tournament. Obviously, we we talked a little bit about Celis. What a great moment coming back from match point, beating the legend, Monica Celis.
2: Yeah, I'll tell you another little quick thing about that year of Wimbledon. Nobody realizes I literally cooked breakfast and I made lunch and I cooked dinner for everybody in my household because that kept me relaxed. And because also the, the bye week, that Sunday that's off at Wimbledon, for years, you know, all the Black tennis players would get together and I would always cook and I would relax. And it was funny because I was asking Serena if she remembered coming one year when they first, she's like, oh, yeah, and it was like, and so Venus would always like, cook me some fried chicken or cook me some chicken, you know, do <laughs> like, so, but that was the way that made me relaxed, so.
1: Wow. What other memories do you have from those two weeks? I mean, obviously it it was a a moment in history for you and a moment in time where finally after, you know, you'd won junior Wimbledon, you know, you had been there, you held that trophy. You knew what it felt like to be there on that final day before you play for so many years. At that point, you'd been a, a top pro for eight years. You're in your first Grand Slam final. We talked about the nerves of the Olympics. How nervous were you? Getting to go out there, talking to Bud Collins, that great history of Wimbledon, kind of walking out. Z is what he used to
2: call me, Zing Z. (laughs) That's so funny. Amazing.
1: It was so ceremonial back then. It was, I love this era of tennis. You said you weren't playing well, but you played really well. I mean, that was, uh, those two matches and even against Martina too, I know you struggled with her. She was probably the, the one player in your career that you wish you didn't have to play as many times, but you know, uh, kudos to you, hats off to you for what you did for people like Jay and I, who were watching that match and, and saying, wow, you know, that's, that's a different look to the sport that we never saw before. And it was very optimistic.
0: Yeah, it was. Yeah.
1: All right. Let's move on to the very last question. Zena. it's for you. This could be for the game. If you get this right, you're today's champion. Zena Jay went to Temple University, which is located in the city where you played your last official singles match on the WTA Tour in 1996. Ironically, your last win on tour was quite befitting, as it would be against another future Wimbledon finalist. Who was that player?
2: Well, Jay, I'm just going to be a good sport and hand that over to you because I don't know who it is. I remember the tournament and I remember that because I was in the midst of getting ready to get a divorce. So my head was not in it. I can tell you that.
1: What a terrible way to end. What, I mean, such. But that's
2: how I remember it. Go ahead.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So you probably, I mean, that was the focus then at that point. So that was all the focus. Uh, I mean, not to go too deep, I mean, even though we're having a great session today, so I feel like we have such a great rapport with everyone, but
2: okay, I'm open you <laughs> why
1: Why did you decide that to be the last one then? Was it just did to get too much at that point? You were just in deep with a lot of things in a personal life?
2: um, my personal life um I found out later, so i had I wanted to retire, but then my ex husband didn't want me to retire. And then when we end up getting a divorce, I was probably at the height of my bulimia, which I found out uh. that triggered a whole chemical imbalance. So by the time I started getting major therapy, realized that I was pretty much having somewhat of a breakdown.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's a lot on someone's shoulders.
2: Oh, and I forgot. And then I had um, the biggest, biggest one is my shoulder. Actually, I had a lot of a uh, little tear in there. And they said that it was going to take six months to come back. So I was like, oh, I'm out of here.
1: You're balancing injury, an eating disorder, a divorce, and the end of your career. That honestly must have been an absolute nightmare of a year for you towards the end of the year. I'm so wow. I'm so glad that you can talk about it now and feel and look back <laughs> on it and laugh, even and just say, you know, hey, this was my life at a certain point.
2: Well, I'm yeah. laughing at I'm laughing because it's so funny because now I can't laugh. I remember sitting in this in the stirrupy room. And on one side of me, it was this very wealthy guy that felt like he lost millions. And, and then I had basically an attic on this side that felt like whatever. And then I remember sitting in the middle and thinking, what are you doing here? And you're so blessed to even be there. It. So it's kind of funny. So I have a very interesting way of like handling things. I have to bring some sense of humor to it. But I remember having both of them on the on the side of me and I was like, okay, you gotta get yourself together, girl. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you did because actually, in this head to head, not to give you a hint, but you're head to head with this player. You got yourself together a lot when you played her because you have a 10 to 3 head to head against her. She's from France. She actually wrote a book, too. Really good doubles player.
2: I'm horrible. Keep going. You have to tell me.
1: (laughs) No disrespect to Natalie Tosia, but that was who it was. Yeah. There, I mean, you played her a lot. You actually, in your life and in your era, really, you got to play so many big names week in and week out. Yeah. It was the consistent era that we don't have now. It was you played Martina 34 times. You know, you're 33 and one against Martina, but Obviously that one was really great the one at the US Open I mean that must have felt at that point I mean it was I mean it she'd you'd played her so many times at that point it must have felt like I don't know, the weight had been lifted from your shoulders maybe a little bit.
2: Well, I had a guy, I had a trainer that year, um, Joe Breedlove that I trained with for months and months, and I would be doing 200s, 100s, 220s, whatever, and I'd be running, he'd be yelling, Martina's faster than that, right? it's like, I'm right. so like, it was just kind of like, you know, inevitable.
1: <laughs> Martina set the tone for athleticism in sports. I mean, she has, uh, you know, I, I my hat's off to Martina, but You beat Steffi twice. You beat Martina. You had that huge win against Everett on clay that we spoke about two wins against Tracy Austin. She was number one. You beat Yvonne Gulagong, a former number one as well. You beat her a couple of times. You have two wins against Lindsay Davenport too. You know, early in her career, one at the U.S. Open, which <laughs> is
2: reminded me of that. I'm like, you remember that? She goes, of course I remember that.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's a great one. Two wins against Arantia. I mean, you you beat eight players that were number one in the world at a certain point. That's like a that's a clap on the back right there. That's a that's a big one. Not to mention your rivalry, which we talked about with Lori McNeil. You know, you had some really great matchups for you. Zena, besides Martina, was there a player that you dreaded to play? Maybe a lesser known player on the tour that we don't maybe know that much about. Was there somebody that you were just like, oh, that style does not match up against my
2: style? The one player I didn't really like playing was Aracha. Uh, And it wasn't per se her ball. It was, this is gonna sound really crazy, but this is what, she irritated me when she would like, right before the Alliance call, she would stick her finger up. And then the, sometimes they would change the call and like she played or she would complain enough to the umpire. Like she played that game really well. And that irritated me all the time. I,
1: just I mean, we see that. I, I mean, I'm a recreational player. I play USDA tournaments a lot. That's something you see to this day still. That's very irritating. I can imagine. Oh man. <laughs> oh man. I think it's such a testament of all the players that you've beaten. Obviously we're, we're ending our, our hour here, but. In 1995, you finished the year 22 in the world. You win your second Birmingham title. We talked about why you decided to play another year. I think there was influence from the X. But we did get to see you one last time in 1997. You took a wild card with Laurie McNeil at the US Open in doubles. Oh, Do you yeah. remember that match? You got the worst draw ever. You played Davenport and Novotna in the first round. They ended up winning the title that year. So, what was it? How did that story come about? Well, How did you come back that last year? Was that just a goodbye? Because you didn't get that proper goodbye as we talked about. Everything that was going on in your life, you deserved a proper send-off.
2: Well, it was more so, um, if I can remember, I think the uh John and Willis and some of the coaches just saying, and even Lori, like, come on, Zena, play, you know, play one play again. Cause I basically was just like, I'm done with tennis, I just want to get get away from it, you know. So it was a way to kind of get me back out there, but You know, I'm a very interesting type person because I've never really needed all the accolades or anything. It's just, it was just all about me. And my sister was even telling me this recently. She's like, You don't have any memorabilia around and it's all at her house basically. Or I don't know where my trophies are, you know, stuff like that. It's like, cause for me, it's like, I remember the times I don't need to look at them sometimes. So I really didn't need that. For me, it was more about peace for me, I should say. Uh,
1: So you felt you ended your career at peace.
2: Peace for me. Yeah. Peace for you. So for me, I needed that to basically, to be honest, to save me. I needed to to just deal with me. And as you said,
1: you were ready to to say goodbye the year prior, anyway. So I think there was a there was a goodbye, maybe already in your head by the end of that '95 year, where you're just like, "All right, let's." Maybe the heart wasn't there as much. So and that proved that you stick to your own gut, and that's what you did throughout your career, and that's why we love Zena Garrison for sure. Well, the winner of fan versus favorite today is Jay. Jay, congrats! You you beat Zena Garrison. <laughs> Bragging rights to the fans this week. Well done. Jay. Wow. Now, you made up for that horrible truth or fault game earlier, yeah. but well done. Well <laughs> done. You've got mail. All right, guys. We're going to end today with a couple of fan mail questions for Zena from her fans all over the world. Zena, Stephen from New York, New York says, Zena, your return stance is iconic. There has never been anyone that has choked the forehand grip and had your wiggle and arm position. How did that come about? We talked a little bit about it, Steve, but I know he wants to hear a little bit more.
2: It actually came about from um, my coach at the time, John Wilkerson and, and Willis Thomas could not get me to catch the ball out in front early enough. So I was kind of joking around. I was like, oh, like this. And I stuck my hands out there. And, it was like, and I was like, oh, so that gave me a point. To where I wanted to try to catch the ball on my return. And so, as far as the wiggle, it's like it just became part of it, you know, getting my feet moving to be able to move to the ball. But, you know, real quick story about that I remember going, um, playing a tournament in Asia, and I just done well at the 1990 uh, Wimbledon. And I walked into a a room with 1,200 people and they all started wiggling.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's like a, it's like a,
2: I don't know, like a Fortnite move now
1: for the young kids or something like that. Like that's your signature, you know, your dance, your shuffle, the Xena shuffle. <laughs> very cool, very, very cool. Oh man, Jay, you have our last question today.
0: So Xena, back in 1986, you've been on a few Fed Cup teams. Um, you've had some great wins over the years, but back in 1986, you and Pam and Martina... And Chrissy all went back to Prague, and it was it was Martina's first time being back in Czechoslovakia since she'd affected and and I don't want to know, do you remember anything about that tournament, and also do you remember like the significance of you know because Martina's an American, I'm proud to call her an American, but that had to be like a huge emotional thing going back behind the Iron Curtain with her.
2: I remember that so well, like because I knew the significance of it but I remember getting ready to step off the plane and all the people, but there's a couple of things I remember that was just, I remember Chris and I were supposed to go practice. And so we go out, the train is going by And then the train backs up because they realize it's like, you know, Martina's supposed to be there. And it's like, oh, my God, and waiting. And then the other thing is going to Martina's house and her mom making chicken and dumplings. And oh, my God. But there was paparazzi all in the trees. And we were like, oh, my God. And we're talking about it. And just seeing the emotions that Martina had when they didn't want to announce her name when we were on the court and they announced the whole team and man Lakova basically stood up and you know like oh no you're gonna say Martina's name but to look behind us and to see you know the government and they wouldn't even stand I mean it was just absolutely crazy but one of the best memories of my life wow wow,
1: oh, how powerful I'm so thankful that you've shared this time with us today uh I know Jay feels the same as I do and I want to thank my guest for joining us today honestly a dream hour for me you can find Jay on Twitter at J underscore lass Thank you Jay for joining today
0: amazing you're welcome John thank you
1: what a great what a great time our guests today can be found on Instagram at Garrison Zena or on Twitter at beyond the gold. Zena, which one do you use more? Are you Instagram or Twitter?
2: I actually am starting to do a little bit both. So it's all good. Yeah.
1: Well, follow her if you care about Garrison and get all your updates
2: from Zena. Also, don't forget to check out ZenaGarrison.org. And the other one is follow me because my new passion is food and beverage photography. So I have uh, my Instagram is pretty to the plate oh! and so check out my little meals that I've done. But I'm, And people think I might like, want to be a chef, whatever. I'm just really into food photography.
1: I can't wait to check it out. Absolutely. So don't forget to check out zenagarrison.org as well. And you can contribute and donate to ensure kids in Houston area are continuing to get some fantastic tennis in their lives. I can't thank you enough, both of you. And while you're on Instagram, please follow us at Fantastic Tennis Pod or on Twitter at Fantennis Pod. Send me a DM on Instagram with a player you'd like to hear next on an upcoming episode. My name is John Garika. Thank you for listening. This has been fantastic. This is so fun. (laughs)